I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, I definitely think he just broke his hand. <laughs> that is not a TV reference. It's Andy Greenwald! Look, we're in new spaces a lot here. We're learning a lot about each other and our physical limitations. And I definitely probably just broke my finger by slamming it in the studio door. But look, yeah, all that does is sharpen my focus. I know. Maybe I was feeling a little bit flighty today, but now my <laughs> insights are razor sharp because adrenaline is a byproduct of extreme physical pain. You're going to be on that. Uh, See, so maybe you should model the rest of your life off of Paul Bettany and the Da Vinci code, code. Can I be honest with you? Yeah. I'm sort of hoping two future medics run up behind me right now and inject me with something in the neck just <laughs> to get me Speaking started. Speaking of Paul Bettany and the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> oh, are you going to do this? Sure. Can I tell you something? This is the space for it. I'm so hyped for Young Pope. That's all I wanted to talk about, too! <laughs> That's not a joke. Yo. If, when you, I know we're going to talk about... What H- about the Pope, though? Listen. <laughs> listen to me. Listen, for real. Like, I know we're going to take this podcast now, Holy and we're going to talk about... really real. We're going to talk about Sunday Night TV. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the three shows that were on HBO last night. We're going to talk about Westworld, Insecure, and Divorce. But as I was watching those shows... On what about HBO Go though? <laughs> I watched the promo though for the young Pope. Directed by Paolo Sorrentino though! I don't even understand everyone who's listening, whether you're a TV fan, yeah. whether you're in the TV industry, whether you own a TV or not. Now you just started doing Jude Law Young Pope voice just there, whether you own a TV or not. What are you even doing? The young Pope is coming for your throats in Q117. Young Pope is roaming the defensive backfield like Steve Atwater. I'm not kidding. Like, I want to be very clear with you. I am so hype on this. I don't know if people know about Sorrentino, though. And I'm not even trying to make that. I'm not even trying to do that bit anymore. Have you guys seen The Great Beauty? Have you seen Youth? This dude makes really, really interesting (laughs) And really compelling And movies. somebody was like, what about TV, though? And he was like, yeah, here's the thing. Sopranos, but at the, ba- the Vatican. <laughs> and not just that. The thing to remember about this guy is that a lot of the filmmakers who have come to television are bringing, you know, the kind of movies they make are maybe visually compelling or they know how to string a good story together. They're, but they are generally operating within a familiar narrative structure. Mm-hmm. And are interested in familiar narrative structure. And maybe it's just that they can't make the movies they wanted to make in the theaters anymore. They can make them on TV. Maybe they want a different challenge. Even someone like Kerry Fukunaga, who is a beautiful stylist uh-huh. and director, you know, he, he, his movies, you could sort of put them in categories of movies you had seen before. And that's not even a dig. Right. They're not hallucinatory. Exactly. Yeah. Sorrentino is a lot more David Lynch than he is uh, uh, Fukunaga. Yeah. And the fact that he's making this show, like anyone who saw this and are like, are they serious? That's the point. Yeah. So this is like, you should go look at this trailer up because they ran it before Westworld, I think. Uh, And I'm I'm very hyped for it. But let's let's get into it, though. Let's talk about our Sunday night shows here. Okay. I I, want to say my piece about that. Could I? About Sunday night shows? About Westworld. We should start with Westworld. Yeah, we'll do Westworld and then we'll talk about Insecure and Divorce. I was wondering... So I saw this episode when I saw the first one a couple months ago, and then I, I watched it again. And I was trying to wonder why I just it was feel, leaving me feeling cold. Because so far the show is leaving me feeling a little, a little cold. Yeah. And I, I got to be honest with you, Chris. It might be a little bit of the point. 
that's a good that's a good uh, conversation to have. But I do wonder: Are we human or are we dancers? That's what it's asking. I know the answer to that question. Well, I've always been a dancer, Chris. I just feel like on a Sunday night, I didn't need two opportunities <laughs> to get a glimpse of a dystopic nightmare world uh-huh. where men can do anything they want to women, yeah, without any fear of repercussion or or, or punishment, and be accepted that way, right? I, was there something else on Sunday night besides Westworld? I, <laughs> I I just feel like sometimes fiction feels like it has limits, and yeah, we are you know in what? one we of could, those. We can talk about this for a second. I do think that um, I mean this is this is funny because like I was actually going to talk a little bit about I'll get to my Westworld thing in a second, but it is hard to look in and outside of bubbles sometimes, and I I don't know what you know like what it's like for other people necessarily who don't. Aren't professionally obligated to be hooked into the internet. There was something. There was an interesting. I can't remember where I read it, but somebody had a line a couple of days ago that I read that I liked, which was like, the days when you had to get on or get off the internet. Like you could have like DSL or whatever, but like you didn't take the internet with you everywhere. Right. Uh, um, when you had to go to the Apple store to check your email and so Or when it would just even like you would look at your computer for a while and then go do something else, you know, and like, yeah. and that doesn't, that, that incre- happens less and less. And so the way in which things that you know are important, like the debate, can start to creep into your life in a way that like in places where yeah. ordinarily, whether it's like you're reading a book, but you look at your phone because you want to see if something happens. And then here's the thing about this election that I think has been driving me insane is that I would love to be like, nothing happened. Why right. am I keep looking at my phone? Right. But something's always happening. Yes. No, I understand that. You And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that, that Jonah Nolan, I don't even mean to be trite by making this a little bit about TV because no, Sunday I think because it's interesting to have like I think that we are even seeing it as like a site where we're do, talking about you mean largely website, sports and pop, pop culture, yeah. And you have a feeling like until November 9th, all of this stuff is just like off to the side yes. of the stage to some extent. I, I think that Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy want to make the viewers of Westworld feel uncomfortable. I think disquiet is one of their primary um, colors that they're trying to paint with. I think that it, it is a challenge, and believe me, of all the things happening in this election season, my reaction to Westworld is not rate at all. Yeah. But I, I felt awful last night. You know, I watched the debate, and I felt pretty disgusting and degraded by what I watched, what I feel like our country had to watch, what I feel like has happened to any sort of convention of civility or the body politic or government or respect. And so to then watch a show that is trying to ask you questions about that in a provocative way, and I have to say in a resolutely humorless way. um, So far, yeah. It's not, I'll just put it, I mean, when I say this, this is a personal reaction to the show. It didn't suit what I needed right now because I, I watched the show and I just bump up against one thing which is they are asking these questions in the hushed tones of complete solemnity and seriousness like what if what if robots were real what, what are we doing to these people what are we doing to our lives literally the characters say to each other like the jackass with the black hat with Jimmy Simpson by the way they're not friends can we just start with that? Like this, this is a this is a convention. In a lot of pop culture, where it's like the wacky friend and the reticent friend, and they're like, I can't wait for us to be friends again, friends. 
<laughs> Yo, these dudes are not friends. The like, guy Logan and, and Logan and William. Williams. Okay, Just try harder. You know what I mean? Like, oh, make, you mean like? Make, but like, I think that that Williams character backstory. says like, I'm not actually like this is not like my friend. It's like a work guy, and like the work guy's like you got to come with me or something, right? Why you gotta go? Anyway, that, that's a, that's a separate. Because he's got to go. That's a separate point. But they well, have the conversation. Oh, okay. You know, where he's just like, I can't wait to see the real you that's lurking inside of you in this world. And it's like, I know. I see everything is being set up on these ten poles of seriousness, and it's just, it's it's a it's a it's dissonant right now. It's a bad moment for me to try to for me to want to really settle in for 59 minutes and scratch my chin. I can't think of an... I had, and then I lost, like, an analogy that I thought might work for this, but I do think that we've talked a lot... Whenever we talk about the belt, we often talk about Mm -hmm. how the belt should go to a show that not only is beloved... It's not only... uh, critically like excellent or aesthetically like pleasing but also drive some sort of like extra televisual conversation like something that like that people are coming in to talk about on the day after that airs um and that's to some extent that's happening with westworld um i think i like it a lot more than you do but i do think that this is a very busy time for television and it's a very good time for television there's a lot of really good stuff floating around yeah and that it's hard to have this, this is we've talked about this last week it's all in on this show you either like yeah. this is either going to work or it's going to fail completely it's not like they can fix it it's not like it can get funnier you know what i mean i mean it could <laughs> but it's not like you could yeah. all of a sudden I, I would feel weird if all of a sudden danny mcbride showed up on the ninth episode as like Woo! the town jester you know oh my god can i just ask everyone to just hold in their mind <laughs> the image of when he gives his nephew the automatic rifle and he just shakes his body you just, just want it to be black biker week in just, westworld <laughs> just do that gif of black biker week and i would be back in on this show um i but i think that because there's so much more to choose from that might have something to do with your yeah. kind of like i do i need to do i need well, to do this it does feel like homework it does feel like an obligation to a certain degree um i one question i had about it and I, I want to know what you thought about this, is a lot of the more interesting writing about the show and ideas behind the this show is what I was gonna ask you come from... I don't know if it... Well, you don't know. This is like, spoiler. You might not know what I'm going to say. Is uh, about this idea of, like, Grand Theft Auto or, like... You know, oh, that's mur- not what I was going to ask you See, about. I thought so. I was yeah. going to surprise you. We're still surprising each other. <laughs> After all these years. Uh, the, the sort of what is the morality of, of a person who yeah, can be like, one way and, and, and that, that I actually public. do think that that has some the, relationship to our current... State like I, of like what happens when you take the safeties off of people's personalities? Well, you know it's just locker room banter, Chris. You can you can gun down a room full of prostitutes and it's no big deal. Listen, um, but one one thing that I I haven't been a gamer in some time, to be honest with you. Yeah. But my understanding of Grand Theft Auto games, even if they've gotten like did you not play? Advanced, you, I, well, like the early ones, yeah. but like recently, as it's become more just freeform and you can run around doing whatever you want. Uh-huh. You you can die too, right? Like the, obviously you can always <laughs> respawn, and like but you have a life, quote unquote, like in the same way the video games you've always had that. I mean, yeah, and you I, just have to, like you don't get to you don't have to stop playing the game. Yes. Well, that was my question because the 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 thing that you know this episode really pushed you know drilled drilled down on is that if you are playing the game, you are invincible because you've paid for the privilege to be able to do whatever you want. And right. So so and I, it was interesting to note like in the Ed Harris scene. With uh, by the way, Clifton Collins Jr. Not so many good actors yeah. crammed into the show. Yeah, yeah. He plays Lawrence in the show. Um, in that scene where he basically annihilates their family, the uh, the cousins. Yes. I didn't notice this as much the first time I watched the show as much as the second. Is that 
he gets quote unquote shot quite a bit. He he is not Ed Harris. Yes, yes. but it doesn't matter, right? Like the sniper, the the bartender. Yep. Um, it's not that he is so good at playing the game that he plays it flawlessly. He just can do. Yeah, I think wants. that his behavior is somebody who has played the game apparently for thirty yeah. years. In, and in a way, in a sense, he was born here. Figured out. It's like the same thing with when you're playing Mario and you're just like. Uh, if you die and you have to go back two levels to do something, you're like, but I know how to do all of this, so I just skip past all this stuff. But even in Mario, you had to still do it. Like you would, like the times when you'd get really good at a game like that, it would be very frustrating if you died at the big boss because you had to go back to a save point or to the beginning of the game, like we're talking back to NES. Right. This idea is something that I bet is probably going to come into play at some point where there will be consequences for the real people as well as the robots. That seems to be a, a rich place for the show to go. But I, but I was wondering if that affected my enjoyment of the show or my reception of the show because there's this... And again, it makes sense that it's early on in the narrative, well, and but you know, there's this it, omnipotence. I, I think also it's worth noting that while GTA has come up a couple of times, I believe... I can't remember if it was Lisa Joy or Jonah Nolan said that Bioshock is a huge influence on on the show and that he one of them was like it's like one of the most important pieces of entertainment that's happened in the last 15 years by the way just as a side note i believe this fully to be true and maybe we should have jason concepcion come on because one thing that jason concepcion can say to us other than you know literally everything that happened in game of thrones uh, or he just make us furious because he's still making fun of the sam hinky sixers (laughs) is that jason I basically every few weeks or months will write to Jason being like, this game looks dope. Can I come over to your house and play it? (laughs) Because he keeps up on this stuff and I just had to let that stuff go. And I do feel that if we are supposedly cultural commentators, we are missing these great. I mean, I don't know if they're great in the sense that we would love them, but things like Bioshock does seem to be influencing how storytelling happens in the world. And we are we're essentially blind to it. I also think that, uh, and this is what I was going to ask you about. So you're talking about what you've been reading and I've been reading stuff about it too. And it does seem that this show is immediately, and part of this is like the content industry, but it's immediately spawned theories. We've talked a little bit about this last week, but the idea, (laughs) are you checking out your boards again? I'm on the boards. I'm, I'm in there. I love Chris's boards corner. Um, Grabbing the board. What is it? What it would be banging the boards. So this is basically a mystery box TV. You know, this is, we had it with, uh, we obviously have it with Thrones. We, and to some extent, it, it, it impacted Night Of, like all the theories of what could have happened with Night Of. This idea that you need to solve a show before the show gets to that conclusion itself. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, earmuffs anybody who really cares. But, like, there's a theory, for instance, that the Man in Black plot and the William plot are happening on separate timelines and that they are the same person. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like, for instance, and that there is, like, evidence to suggest, or not evidence, but there is, like, clues where it's, like, the train station that William shows up in is actually, like, much nicer looking than, like, another shot of the train station. And I guess... So, anyway, but the point being is, like, this is not a television show that I think you're going to get any kind of, like real emotional resonance from last week we were like gosh where's the we, what, what about Han Solo yeah. what about Luke though what, like what about like the point of view character the cynic the right. the big bad that we understand and right now it's very diffuse and even somebody like William is like I'm I'm just a rube and I'm just yeah. making my way through this everyone's a programmable archetype yes. on purpose so the big thing for this show is more about it's puzzle pieces but when you finish the puzzle, it still probably is not going to make you feel like, oh, gosh, that really, like, 
hits me, you know? It's a very interesting point, because when you describe... It's entirely these, about formal we, invention, right. is what I'm saying. Yeah. Which makes me feel like this fits into a larger conversation about this bespoke era of television, where, you know, we, where shows can be so micro-targeted that they don't need to appeal to anything, any you know, a larger audience. So what I mean is, what you're talking about, this idea of cross-timelines, or where are we really, or what might be revealed, mm-hmm. I love that stuff. That's catnip. If it's I, I, I love grafted onto a series of characters that you For like. me, exactly yeah, right. exactly. I love Lost. Right. I still love Lost. Me I think too. about it a lot. Me too. And that sort of storytelling I miss enormously in, in TV, and one of the reasons why I really do like Game of Thrones is because... It's not like Lost, but in the sense of you can completely lose yourself in an inter overlapping narrative, yeah. and interlocking pieces that all fit to something larger and hint at something bigger. I mean, that is why I fell in love with TV and books and everything to begin with, and comic books too. But we are, if we it, to, to just take tease that out a little further, what you're saying is, you know, if you want a show that is pure character and nothing like this, we have shows like that for you. If you exactly. want a show that's pure procedural, we have that show for you. Pure laughs, we have sitcoms for you sitcoms without laughs we have those for you and so maybe maybe what Westworld stands is as the first like fan it's pure PhD level fan theory mm-hmm. um, I mean that's the Nolan's brand right well, there, to take genre and then what's the most what's the least interesting part of Inception it's the it's the Marion Cotillard Leo DiCaprio like whether or not he gets back together with this wife that we don't even know right like it has there's the signifiers of a, an intense emotional relationship well, there, and people cry. That's what Interstellar does too. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I think Interstellar is is like got different problems. Inception actually is like this incredibly well put together like puzzle, which if you move, remove one piece, completely falls apart. But the emotional core of that movie is supposed to be like I have to yes. do this one last job to get back together with my wife who's lost in limbo is actually not that interesting. What's interesting is Tom Hardy it, in Morocco. It often feels like, I agree with you, but it often feels like, and maybe it's that it's a movie, and maybe that it, they spent more time obsessing over every every puzzle piece, because that's how movies get made, and certainly how Christopher Nolan makes his movies. If you think about Inception for too long, I mean, you will, you will probably break down into a quivering puddle, but if you think about it too long, it, the construction of it, it does feel like a very smart kid trying to game the system. And he's like, well, they told me it needed to have heart. Right. So I'm going to uh, reverse engineer a heart onto this story that is actually just kind of a cool idea. Right. Um, and, if you and, get, it, and, and it worked. And you have, it beautiful, especially and you have amazing in, performers. And you take these beautiful images and Marion Cotillard's face in these flashbacks that are interlaid throughout that movie. You know, I, movie, movie to sit in a movie theater is essentially manipulative, said the guy who hasn't sat in a movie theater in two years. Yeah. But that's okay. And I think that it works in that context. What would be interesting to see is that TV is essentially manipulative too, of course. And one of the ways TV is manipulative are in these very familiar, draw you in, make you fall in love with characters, things that can, in, in lesser hands can be referred to as soap operatic. Right. All the best shows play off of that. Um, and in a weird way, it's going to lead into our conversation about the other two new HBO comedies as well. It would be interesting to me to see, or will be interesting to me to see if Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy begin to play on those tropes as well to... Bring, draw people into their story. Well, that's because what Game of Thrones does. Is it throws Game forward like this is you you invest, you invest, you invest, and then the bottom falls out of the market. You know, and you, you, that that they've only done that so many times, and they really earn it. I have to say, I'm much. I think I'm much more into the Westworld than you are, and I also I think part of that is just my affection for westerns, but also the 
I do think that they are playing around with some interesting things about collective memory and what constitutes a memory. Um, mm-hmm. The Thady Newton stuff was pretty fascinating. That this was week. that was that was on a hundred. Like, yeah. First of all, the only person who loves Tandy Newton as much as me is Tate, and Tate Tate's not <laughs> in a position where you can yell at support, but I know that. Uh, she's terrific. He's too busy getting an orthopedic surgeon in here for your head. <laughs> I hope so. Um, I, mean, I need Dr. James Andrews, but she's great. And also the imagery from those scenes, like those are, those are the moments when you sort of you get a glimpse into what they're trying to accomplish and what they can't accomplish. And how big it is and how far back and forward it, it expands. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I remain really, really into this show. I remain frustrated by it. Okay. But, but, but not, I'm not out. Right. Um, a, a show that is capable of imageries or imagery such as that was in that sequence when she wakes up and runs into basically an abattoir. Right. You what got, do you think? Can I ask you one more question? Just like a what, what do you think? It's, it still hurts, yes. What do you think? Oh, another question. He says, I have something new, Anthony Hopkins, at the end of yes. this episode. And it's the black. He, they, no, they've mentioned the white church. Now there's a black church in the desert. Did you know William of Ockham was a monk? Who's that? <laughs> when they're talking about Ockham's oh, razor. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so no theories Wait, about. Tell me, tell me, tell me the question. Like, what do you think is next? Like, what's that? What is why? Why say I have this new th- new idea for a story, but the story, like the image that they show, is possibly the oldest story, which or one of the oldest stories, which is right. Well, my sense, I, I know nothing, but the vibe I was getting was that he is becoming intrigued and maybe at peace with the idea that something has become sentient that there is some storyline that he has that, that is the story that the story yeah. that there's something that is not by his design right. but that he is allowing or that the, maybe the characters be. become the hosts something is something is brewing that is indicative of these that these malfunctions are actually part of this larger story that he's no longer in control of and so that line where he has the rattlesnake and the kid and he's like you know everything is magic here except the magician do you think but, that kid but, is a younger version of him yes okay but he also had a feel but he also had a face in that but his face when he saw the spire suggested wonder or surprise sure so the magician was being surprised love surprising magicians let's take a quick break hear from our sponsors we'll be back to talk about insecure and divorce What's up, Watch listeners? Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you got to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city, industry, nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. There's no juggling emails or calls to your office. You quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash watch. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash watch. One more time for the cheap seats. ZipRecruiter.com slash watch. The watch is also brought to you by Casper. Casper mattresses are American-made and obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. Mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin-size mattress, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. 
This is a product that Time Magazine named one of the best inventions of 2015. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. They understand the importance of sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to be spending a third of your life on it. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com bspn and use offer code bspn. That's casper.com bspn, code bspn. Terms and conditions apply. Andy. Hey, man. Let's talk about uh, being young and getting old. Well, yeah. I mean... Because w- I think that might be the central tension... Not the tension. I mean, these shows aren't oppositional. But for Divorce and Insecure, I think that they have some some elements in common. They have some things that are completely different. But there is like, I, it, you know, you were talking about, I don't want to have to think about this on a Sunday night, mm. like with Westworld. It is interesting to be confronted with, because I'm, you know, you and I are both in our late 30s. So we're kind of like right in the middle, probably closer to SJP than we are. <laughs> you don't have to keep talking. You just leave that. <laughs> um like, Actually, I think we're equidistant. Yeah, but like you know, we have Insecure is a show that's about trying to like discover who you are, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, Divorce is about a show trying to save what what is left of you. Mm. Um, that's beautiful. It's also giving like you know maybe it's like giving Divorce a lot yeah, of credit. There's also just like it's also mad just jokes. You know what I mean uh, for both. I I mean. First of all, I just want to say, like, one of the amazing things, this is, like, the, the biggest evidence I've ever seen of, like, the post-live viewing world. I can't imagine the overlap between Insecure and Divorce, um, just in terms of audience. Like... <laughs> raising my hands. Well, you're, you're into, like, it's just, they're just both half-hour shows that HBO made that were ready to go in this slot. You know, I think they're assuming that each will find its audience. I'm not saying people can't like both. What I'd like to say is... navigating the murky world I, of love? No? I really, really, really liked Insecure's pilot. I really, really disliked Divorce's pilot. And before we even get into the specifics, I, I just wanted to go back to that point about the the sort of stereotypical, but not in a bad way, storytelling of television, how it draws you in. And for me, the baseline is for all shows, whether they were on must-see TV in the 90s or whether they're on Hulu in 2016, it's just, is this a world you want to spend time in? Is this a world you want to return to? Um, Insecure, the answer was yes. You know, immediately I was drawn in, mainly because, you know, the arrival scenes into Los Angeles in the opening with Kendrick Lamar playing really spoke to my experience here just a short month ago. Yeah. Um, Frequent open mics. Divorce, I was like, get get me out of here as fast as humanly possible. And it's not just because there was snow on the ground. <laughs> you know, it, it was just, it was a, a, a toxic sort of gross moneyed meanness that I, I sort of see maybe they were shooting for like a Tom Wolfe parody or satire of this world, but it didn't get there. And so it fall, instead of reaching for that, place it falls down into just sort of assuming that this is in some way normal or okay like there is a baseline in this world where it would have been okay for any of these people to behave like this or to entertain us in this way yeah but like that so do you think that there's a place for television where people behave in a bad way though most shows have people behaving in a bad way i'm just saying think about so sharon horgan we can skip to divorce i guess but sharon horgan who is probably a genius i think 
inarguably a genius in a lot of ways. And she she created and stars in Catastrophe, co-created with Rob Delaney, her star. And then she created the show and, and wrote it and was behind the scenes. And she did pulling. And too, pulling right, as yeah. well. Um, Catastrophe, you know, some people come away from watching that show and they're like, boy, they say crazy things to each other. Or some of the su- some of the supporting characters are very broad in a broader sitcom sense, while the main characters are not. Um, they, the show is sort of based in a place, though, of sometimes love, sometimes worth, sometimes affection. It's very, very hard to make a show about people hating each other, you know, and then and then everything cascades from there. The idea of like the main characters being a little bit normal because they're our way in and the supporting characters being wild buffoons is standard sitcom stuff. Right. I mean, we we talked about You're the Worst in the first season, like the way that the sh- that show, which has been excellent again this year, and we should get back to it, but the way that show sort of normalizes Jimmy and Gretchen was by making uh, um, Edgar and, uh, um, uh, what's her name? Catherine Donahue's character. Catherine Donahue's character. I Lindsay. Lindsay. Uh, making them like crazy town. And then the show sort of examined that and, in, in, you know, examined that going forward and flipped it a little bit. This was just, it's just, un, it, to me, it was just, it starts with kind of unpleasant. And then we have, you know, your man, Superior Donuts, Tracy Letts, <laughs> Pulitzer Prize winner for American Drama. August? Uh, uh, for August Osage County. And your former favorite head of the CIA on Homeland. <laughs> Just having his, literally having his heart explode <laughs> at a dinner party. It's just, I just, I just found it, I just found it real bad. I just found it real bad. And, and it, it, investigate this a little bit. Besides, aside from like, I mean, cause, so what I think that this part the show is probably suffering from, I, I kind of enjoyed it, but I, cause just because I thought it was witty and, and I think Sharon Horgan's a great writer. I didn't think it was witty. Uh, you can say it out loud. We're on, we're on mic. <laughs> one, thing, one thing simply is that it just felt like it was being performed in translation. I thought that there was like a real tension between. So I often found that when you have something that's sort of like a scathing black comedy. So whether it's like I'm trying to think of like what a good well, example. By the way, like no one be. on Veep behaves well. You know what I mean? And I think Veep is, this is what the I was, best comedy. This is what I'm getting to is I don't. No one on Veep behaves well, but people in Veep are aware of how fucking ridiculous things are. are. Like, you have Kevin Dunn's character to just be like, what is happening? You know what I mean? Like, this is just all so ridiculous. Anna Chomsky's character is, like, aware of what is happening. Just as a side note, Chris, when we went, we you know, we talked about this before. We went to the, that HBO party after the Emmys, and the only time, we, like, we were really starstruck was Kevin Dunn was there. That's true. Kevin Dunn is America's greatest actor at this point. But you know what I mean, right? Like, there's nobody on divorce who is, like, isn't this also absurd, really, yet? I mean, after one episode. Right. It's it's asking you... Right, that's a very good point. I think there are... One thing that some shows do is create... Well, all shows create a baseline for their own reality. You know, um, on Parks and Recreation, basically everything was skewed happier, more positive, you know, more support, even though there were darker things or characters who didn't buy into Leslie Nope, like we were in her reality and everything spun along with that. And the yeah. best comedies find that tone. And that's very hard to do. It takes, it usually takes up to 10 episodes to even find that tone, but they find the tone and then they hold it and then they can, you know, make us buy into it. Divorce was basically asking us to come into this world that was, it's just v- very sour mm-hmm. and very unpleasant. And for me, just very uninteresting. I just don't, I don't care what happens to these people. Not because they're acting badly, but because I don't have any reason. I don't know why I would care. I think there's also the the issue of what I like to call the triple SJP paradox. 
whoa. <laughs> Are you about to drop Jonah Nolan's science on this? So, Do we need to shut down production on this podcast so you can come up <laughs> with a common theory of SJP reality? Sarah Jessica Parker, when you see her act, you're like, I want you to be a good person because you are inherently charming. This is my take. Mm-hmm. I know this is not shared by everybody. Uh, then what happens is you put her in a show where she seems to be almost pressing against like the needs of the character because the character is actually having this kind of midlife crisis. But she is Sarah Jessica Parker. So it's that that suspension of disbelief is very difficult yes. to believe that. And then there is the triple part of knowing that Sarah Jessica Parker is actually a savage because she went on the Nerdist podcast and said that she has a theory of sex in the city mm-hmm. where Miranda, Charlotte, mm-hmm. who's the last one? Uh, Betty. No. Veronica. Miranda, Charlotte, oh, Samantha, yeah. are actually, could actually be figments <laughs> of Carrie's imagination and that all the episodes are just columns oh. of hers and that they are actually all her. Yo, Sarah Jessica Parker, Closet Westworld fan. <laughs> she would be the man first of all let's not have any illusions SJP is the man in black that would be yes and they'd um, be like those aren't robots and she'd just shrug what I'm really trying to get at though is I can't decide whether everybody around Sarah Jessica Parker is wrong or Sarah Jessica Parker is wrong I think that one of the things that made her with good reason very very popular and very successful is that she on screen you know everyone and certainly all stars have certain things that they Register, certain mm-hmm. registers they exist in, certain emotions they trigger when you see them, you know. Um, and for her, I think that she has always been a magnet for audience empathy. She, see, yeah. you know, she, when she's on screen, you sort of, putting it. you 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 root for her, you feel for her, and that is an interesting place to begin at, you know. And and that is also, like Sandra Bullock is like that too, probably. And so she's had a good job playing in and around and off that, but she's never really able to play a bad person because America doesn't seem to want to accept her doing that. Sure. In this part, is written by Sharon Horgan, like, like the, it, I'm trying to t- articulate this just on the fly, but if you look at Sharon Horgan, if you look, and also, by the way, that's hugely reductive of me to even suggest that Sharon Horgan only writes Sharon Horgan surrogates. Although, if you read the profile of her in The New Yorker, it suggests that she does mine her own personal life very heavily, as, as, as many more, writers do. As many writers do. But if you watch her character in Catastrophe, there's a character who fundamentally doesn't isn't sure if she's good or bad, and seems pleasantly surprised when good things happen. It would and help if she would maybe stop in a maybe at a red light in a car and say, "Am I a good person? You know, if <laughs> am I a bad man? To be clear, if Catastrophe was made for a <laughs> primarily for a non for an American outlet, she would that would have been a yeah. note. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker in this show as Frances on Divorce seems to believe that she is this very good person worthy of sympathy, although what the, in- the most interesting part of the pilot for me is that she might not be. Not, sure. that, not that people are quote-unquote bad if they stray yeah, or whatever. Yeah, Lindsay wrote but... about this on, on, on The Ringer where it was like the way that it inverts the Thomas Hayden church. Like typically it would right. she be done wrong by the husband right. and be wrong with her life. That's interesting. It was an interesting idea. Um, also, you know, I like shows that begin with a mystery. And for example, in Quarry, show we should come back to on Cinemax, the, you know, the very first image, we don't know what time frame we're seeing, but there's basically a, a gun battle and someone is killed and someone, you mm-hmm. know, so we don't know, we assume we're going to catch up to that story. It ends in in divorce, that's where Quarry ends. It'll jump forward to 2016 Westchester. That's fine. <laughs> the question that it's really 
I want to know, and it's, it's an iconic question, much like, you know, guys, where are we in the pilot of Lost is, did Thomas Hayden Church shit in the coffee can? <laughs> are we going to see him shit in the coffee can? You can't ask a question that big and not return to it. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, I've talked myself back in. I want to know. Yeah. Is it, is when he shits in that coffee can, is, is it, is he the one doing defecating or is there a character we haven't met yet existing in a separate timeline? Right. Perhaps in Westworld. Do you see where I'm going with this? I see. The grand unified theory of HBO. Of, of coffee cans. Where does Insecure fit into this? Uh, thankfully, nowhere. I, <laughs> I, loved, I loved it. I really, really loved it. I had no familiarity with Issa Rae. I had not watched. I mean, other than the fact that, that the show had been in development for a while. And I, I, I remember um, our pal Rembert wrote about her. But I, I never watched Awkward Black Girl, which was her web series. And so I wasn't quite sure what we were going to get going in. And also knowing that the show had gone through a lot of a very long development mm-hmm. process. Um, and uh, I thought it was the you know, best case scenario for that. It felt like what I like in a pilot, which is here's a world. And you get it. You know, the, the first scene where she's presenting herself to the class is like a really well-chosen first scene. I think she's an incredibly appealing performer. Very funny. And the woman who plays her friend who I came in here prepared to say her name and then just blanked on it as we've been talking. But uh, Allison Davis wrote about her and did an interview with her on The Ringer today, which I really loved. Um, There is a show in that friendship. And I think it was very, very smart of um, Larry Wilmore helped develop the show and Prentice Penny, who was one of the funniest guys behind Happy Endings, who took over show running duties when uh, when Larry Wilmore was called away, basically, to do his show. Um, To realize early on that there is a show in this friendship was really, really, really smart to me. So I, I'm, I'm psyched on it. I just think that it, in, you know, in its 28 minutes, it gave us a range of emotions. It gave us a whole, a whole specific world. It gave us very good jokes, like the one about how all black women who went to college love Drake, <laughs> you know, which as a black woman who went to college, <laughs> I responded yeah. to. Um, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was just, I thought it was bright. And I don't mean like bright yeah. and smart. I just think it was bright and engaging, and I was pretty excited about I it. I think it's it's a testament to how much I'm used to, like what kind of shows I'm used to, that I was waiting for something like truly awful to happen. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> or just really? somebody to just like just be terrible. And I, I think that there's probably a lot of humanity in this show, and that's that's a nice... <laughs> like, like, like she would... Uh, Sleep at her friend's house and then wake up in an abattoir of robots. Like she would go back to Molly's house and Daniel would be there already, you know, sleeping with Molly or something like where because Yvonne, th- Yvonne Orgy, yeah, that's the woman's name. By the way, fun fact: she's amazing on the show as Molly. In real life, she doesn't curse. This part is profoundly based around how funny Yvonne Orgy is at swearing, yes, and saying crazy ass things. In real life, this actress is a devout Christian and will not curse at all. And Damn. so when they're doing rehearsals, she'll say, like, apparently according to this interview that's on TheRinger.com, she'll say, like, Fuddrucker. <laughs> so I'm very impressed that she's willing to, like, unleash the devil, basically, for this role, because she does. Um, all right, well, let's wrap up there. I think we have uh, a re-up on Thursday, and we might have Trayvon from Bill's show come through. We're going to talk a little bit about Trayvon it Trayvon had some notes. Yeah, Trayvon, Trayvon had notes, some for, notes us. for us. Um, and is there anything else we're talking about on Thursday? Ooh, you know, there's a lot out there, man. Do that. <laughs> I don't know. We gotta do. We gotta do uh, Atlanta, of course. Maybe um, we'll do a little bit of a music roundup. We haven't. We haven't spent some. I really, really just want to spend some time with, with you about Bon Iver. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of. Uh, 
a lot of anniversaries. Right? Oh yeah, is you, this it? You were feeling very moved by is this it turning fifteen? No, I'm I'm more of a Room on Fire guy. Did you? I Are think you, Room on Fire is a perfect album. What? Yeah, we could get into this on Thursday. Reptilia is a great song, but that perfect that whole album. album. Yeah, I'm shocked by this. This is a really all hot killer, take. no filler. I thought, you know, our our, our buddy Chuck Closerman was on uh, was on Marin. And he used the Strokes as an example of like how he no longer trusts his opinion about time as he gets older because he still feels like if someone says they're into quote new bands, he thinks they're talking about the Strokes. And I kind of when you said it was 15 years ago that Is the Sit came out, it's like <laughs> that's just that's crazy because I kind of feel the same way. Also because as much as some people want to claim that the Strokes are like, you know, you, ca- career artists. Me? Is that what you're? I'm I'm only looking at one person in this room, <laughs> uh-huh. and it's not the Michael Jordan poster. Yeah. They kind of just, they did it, man. Save them for Thursday. Save them for Thursday. I don't think people are ready for this fire. Talk to you then. Great job, Ransky.